church had a distinct memory of Jesus as a person whose heart was full and overflowing with patience and gentleness and grace. Even toward people that the religious leaders of his day would have treated with impatience and harshness and judgment, those who knew Jesus remembered him as someone who was different than that. Someone characterized by gentleness, patience, and grace. The story is told that one day the scribes and the Pharisees, religious leaders in Jesus' time and place, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. Now, so many questions, right? I mean, you know, the, the question that is often asked about this is how exactly did they catch this woman in the act of committing adultery? Maybe more importantly, though, why do they bring the woman and not the man that she is caught committing adultery with? How would you feel if religious leaders caught you in the act, so to speak? And then took it as an opportunity to drag you into the public square, literally, of your city to accuse you of sin. How would you feel? In any case, these leaders say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone or to kill by throwing rocks at such women. So, Jesus, what do you say? They said this, of course, to test Jesus. It seems that they wanted to prove that Jesus was soft on sin. Jesus famously starts writing something in the dirt. We don't know what it is. It's kind of mysterious. We don't know if that's just kind of Jesus saying, I've got better things to do right now. Maybe it calls to mind that God used his finger to write the Ten Commandments into stone back in the book of Exodus. Perhaps Jesus is writing in the dirt. Perhaps once again, God is writing his Ten Commandments for people to hear. But whatever he's doing by drawing in the sin, they kind of keep on pestering Jesus. Teacher, what do you say about this man? And finally, Jesus stands up and he says to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone. And then apparently he sat down and started doodling in the dirt once again. (laughs) And we're told that when they heard it, this saying of Jesus, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone, they started walking away. One by one, apparently beginning with the oldest among them, down to the youngest among them. Jesus stops what he's drawing in the dirt and looks around and finds that all of the religious leaders have left. 
And here is this woman that they dragged in front of him, still there. It's fascinating to me that the religious leaders don't feel comfortable in the presence of Jesus, but this sinful and accused woman feels she doesn't need to flee. Perhaps she's already noticed something different about this rabbi who has spoken up for her while the other leader is only accused. Jesus stands up and begins to speak to her and he says, Ma'am, where are these other leaders? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus answers, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If we want to claim to be disciples of the real Jesus, if we want to claim to be a church that worships the real Jesus Christ, then we need to understand the full Jesus, including this part of who He is. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I do worry that sometimes in the church today, we do treat people more like the way the religious leaders treated that sinful woman than the way that Jesus treated that sinful woman. In fact, I wonder how many of us here today can look back at our own experience of life in Christian churches and say, actually, I know what that woman felt like. I know what it feels like for religious people who claim to speak on the authority of God's Word to treat me with judgmental attitudes, to treat me with harshness, to treat me with impatience, to treat me in a way that seems very different than the heart of Jesus Christ who is full of gentleness and patience and mercy and grace. I wonder if some of us know all too well what it feels like to be criticized and judged by others. And in our passage for today, Jesus tells us very simply and very directly that this is an important aspect of what it will mean for us if we're going to be followers of Jesus. He tells us in very plain, straightforward, and simple language, judge not. Or as another translation puts it, do not judge others. So the big question before us, if we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus, the big question before us is this, when we interact with others, do we lead with judgment like the Pharisees? Or do we lead with gentleness like Jesus? When it comes to 
the sins of our neighbors? Do we lead with judgment like the Pharisees or do we lead with gentleness like Jesus? When it comes to interacting with sins of others around us, do we lead with judgment like the Pharisees or do we lead with gentleness like Jesus? This is the big question that we need to spend some time thinking about today, having heard this simple, straightforward teaching of Jesus Judge not. Now, let's remember for a moment the reason why we keep on thinking about the Sermon on the Mount together this summer. We're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount and we're listening to the teaching of Jesus about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we're learning this idea that Jesus presents that if we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, then our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so in example after example, Jesus is teaching us what it's like, not just to say we're not going to be like the partying people, so we're cool if we're, if we're like the Pharisee people. Jesus is teaching us there is a way other than being like the partying people or being like the Pharisee people. There's another way called being disciples of Jesus. And the whole book of Matthew builds up to the closing scene when Jesus, who is who has died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins and is risen from the grave, he says to his disciples, Behold, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples among all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has all authority. He is always with us and he has sent us to carry out his disciple-making mission in every part of the planet. But if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, here's the thing and here's the reason why we keep coming back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not about making disciples in my image. It's about making disciples in the image of Jesus. It's not making disciples who think like I think on my own. It's about teaching other people to observe what Jesus has commanded. And so as we're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we're learning what kinds of things Jesus commands, what kinds of things Jesus directs that are essential and important for discipleship. And here, as we're coming closer and closer to kind of the crescendo of the Sermon on the Mount, as we're coming closer and closer to that, we come to this teaching of Jesus that disciples of Jesus must wrestle with this teaching, judge not. You see, disciples of the Pharisees would carry themselves with the same critical and cranky and judgmental attitude that the Pharisees demonstrated. But disciples of Jesus must be different, not only than the partiers, but disciples of Jesus must also be different than the Pharisees. Disciples of Jesus must learn what it means to judge not. And in this passage, which Chris read for us a moment ago, we hear Jesus kind of warn us about three dangers that we need to consider. Three, three dangers that we need to consider as we learn what it means to judge not. The first danger is the danger of judgment. Look with me again at 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, why? That you be not judged. Verse 2. For, or because, with the judgment that you pronounce on others, you will be judged with that same kind of judgment. And, with the way that you measure other people, you'll be measured that way yourself. You see, the first warning that Jesus gives us about learning about judgment as we think about judging not is that Jesus warns us this, about the danger of judgment. There's this picture kind of built into verses 1 and 2. It's kind of a picture of a law court, if you will. A court of law. And so in American terms, we might think of a room with kind of a large wooden uh, table or bench or podium up front. It's the place that's reserved for the judge, right? It's not the place that you just walk in the, the door after you've scanned yourself in through security And say, I'd like to sit in that place myself. It's a place that's reserved for a judge who will wear a robe. And perhaps, at least in Judge Judy, carry a gavel. I don't know that they always do that in real courts, but you know, anyway. And here's the thing. This passage kind of gives us a picture of a court of law. And it suggests this possibility that... That sometimes as humans, we can kind of play imposter judges for other people around us. And so the picture is that when we are interacting with somebody else and we observe something that we look at critically in their lives, we kind of walk on up to the front of the room and we sit ourselves down in the judge's seat and we put on the judge's robe and we pick up Judge Judy's gavel and we're like guilty. And we like doing that. Because it helps us feel superior to other people. And we like doing that because then we feel in control. And we like doing that because then we feel vindicated. And we like doing that because then we feel righteous. And so then we're just looking around the room and we're like, oh, violation, guilty. Oh, you didn't follow everything that was written in scripture. Bam, guilty. And then we like this so much, and maybe people aren't even not just living up to what God's word calls, but we like this so much, we don't get enough chances to bang the gavel. So we start making up our own rules to hold them up to as well, right? And so we're like, you don't dress the way I dress, bang, guilty. And we're just like, you don't do the cultural things that I do, bang, guilty. And we're just like, you don't parent the way that I parent, bang, guilty. And we, and we have this whole list of things. You don't, you don't think about politics the way I think about politics? Bang, guilty. You don't make the choices that I've made in my life? Bang, guilty. And we just love sitting there in that judge's seat wearing our imposter judge's robe, carrying around our Judge Judy gavel, declaring everybody around us guilty, 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 because it keeps giving us this buzz that I'm superior, I'm superior, I'm superior, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. And then Jesus comes along and he says, you don't belong in that seat. 
And Jesus comes along and he says, be careful putting yourself in the seat of the judge and putting on the imposter robes and banging that imposter gavel over other people because in the way that you judge other people, you also will be judged. It's almost as if we need to fill out this picture a little bit more and we need to not only picture ourselves climbing up into the judge's seat and declaring everybody else guilty, we need to realize that a day is coming when the one who belongs in that throne he's going to come walking into the judgment seat himself and he's going to say excuse me imposter judge do you remember how you declared everybody else guilty for not obeying everything in God's word dear imposter judge by my count you have not obeyed everything in God's word either And dear imposter judge, do you remember how you declared everybody else guilty for not parenting the way you parent? Dear imposter judge, you have not parented the way that I parent. Remember how you declared everybody else guilty for not viewing politics the way you view politics? Dear imposter judge, I declare you guilty of not viewing politics the way that I view politics. See, Jesus is warning us in stark terms that there is a real day of judgment coming when all of our play judgments will be done. And in fact, all of our playing as judge might even add to our own guilt when we stand before the true judge himself. You know, we kind of get a feeling of this with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. We kind of get a feeling of this in our own experience sometimes. I'm going to be honest and say one of the ways that um, I think I'm growing in this, I think I've made some progress, but yeah, I think I used to really kind of look down on other people who were not as precise in their theology as I think I am precise in my theology. I used to really look down on other people for that, right? It was a measurement that I used to measure up other people. It was a way I like to kind of climb and sneak my way into the judge's seat and put on the robe and bang the gavel and say, you just messed that up. And then I still remember one time I I was preaching and, and I said something that was like wrong. And somebody came and pointed it out to me afterwards. It was like theologically, it was off. And you know what happened? Like It wasn't just like, you know what, you're right. That was a mistake, and I repent of it, and I'm moving. It was like I wanted to crawl in bed and never leave my bedroom again. I wanted to go and hide myself and never show my face in public ever again. Why? Because the shame of feeling judged by my own standards was overwhelming to me. We get this in our own experience, right? Sometimes this happens, you know, I'm kind of picking on the parenting thing. I I, I heard Ira Glass who's not a Christian, but I heard Ira Glass one time say that the modern American pastime is judging other people for their parenting, right? So that's kind of why I'm picking on this when we're talking about the issue of judging a little bit, right? But we get this when when we judge other people for how they're parenting and then something just goes astray in my own kid's life or something just goes astray in my own household, what happens? We just want to pull the sheets up over our head and hide and never show our face in public again. Why? Because the weight of being measured the way that we've been measuring everybody else is overwhelming. And we could go on and on and on. 
But here's the thing. Jesus is telling us those experiences where we just feel ashamed and we feel like we want to hide ourselves, those are actually kind of a warning light. They're not the explosion itself. They're a warning light on the dashboard telling you there's a bigger day of judgment up ahead. And all of this judging of other people is, while it feels while it feels like it's making you superior, while it f- helps you feel like you're righteous, while it helps you feel like you're awesome, you're actually storing up judgment for yourself. And somebody's going to be like, well, this doesn't sound like grace, and I like grace, and aren't we just talking about grace and stuff? We're still with the same Jesus here, right? And notice, by the way, in case you need to hear it in a variety of ways, notice some of the things that the New Testament has to say about this theme. This is not an isolated teaching of the New Testament. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, when Paul is writing to a multicultural congregation, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Those are really strong words that the Apostle Paul has reserved for talking to the church about the problem of judging one another within the church. When you judge others, you are pass, when you pass judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, the imposter judge, are practicing the very same things. Or think about how Pastor James puts it in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. I'm not saying this stuff just to scare you or just to be mean or just to like thump Bible at you. I'm trying to plead with you to see Jesus took this issue of judging each other really seriously. The New Testament takes this issue of judging other people really seriously, and we need to take this seriously as well. Jesus says, judge not. And the first danger that he warns us of is the danger of judgment. Maybe before we move on, I'll just say this kind of in passing, but, you know, I wonder if people feel judged by you. I wonder if you've heard that from other people. And there might be some ways that we might try to dodge that one a little bit, you know, kind of squirm out of that, kind of Harry Houdini our way away from that conviction, because it's like, I know my Bible, I got my Bible verses, I'm saying the right thing doesn't matter if they feel judged by me. It is true that sometimes we'll feel, people will feel judged by you when you're doing the right thing. That's true. But here's what I want to say. If people as a habit feel judged by you, maybe instead of just houdiniing our way out of that conviction, maybe we need to stop and slow down and listen to that a little bit because according to Jesus, this is a really big deal. Judge not, Jesus says, so that you be not judged, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Look with me, if you would. Let's keep moving on here in this passage. Look on, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. We're going to keep on following Jesus' flow of thought. Jesus moves on to say, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. It's a famous picture of Jesus. And what he's doing is he's talking about a second kind of danger related to judging others. If the first danger is the danger of judgment, judge not that you be not judged. The second danger is the danger of blindness. The danger of blind spots. Jesus uses this picture of the log and the splinter. The lumber and the speck. To get across this idea that we do not always see as clearly as we think we do. And I know that most of you just heard me say other people in the room don't always see as clearly as they think they do. But we need to let the Word of God speak to us even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. And as I'm listening to God's Word myself this week, I'm just having to slow down and open my own heart and just say, God, would you search my heart here? Maybe I don't see things as clearly as I think I see things. Maybe I have blind spots because the insidious thing about blind spots is we're usually blind to them. More specifically with this issue of the log and the speck, Jesus is getting at this twin problem of perspective and priority. The problem of perspective is the problem that My sin tends to seem very small to me. And other people's sin tends to seem very big to me. I tend to make a lot of excuses for myself. And I tend not to make as many excuses for others. That's the problem of perspective. But it introduces us also to the second thing that Jesus brings up here, which is the problem of priority. And to see that, I want to invite you to look on with me in verses 4 and 5. Jesus continues with this metaphor of the timber and the splinter, saying, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, that's the smaller thing, out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, you imposter, Jesus says, first... First, here's the issue of priority. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then what? You will see more clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, now pause here for a second. If Jesus was going hard in the paint a minute ago on this issue of judge not, judge not, judge not... Suddenly, Jesus is going to kind of go hard in the paint in another direction that's going to make some others of us uncomfortable here. Jason understands what I mean, hard in the paint, right? Running, you know, like a bull right down the middle and throwing elbows and stuff. If you play basketball, Jesus is being a little rough with us here almost, right? And what he's doing is he's, he's, come, he's come in and he said, don't judge. Watch out for judgment yourself. And some of us are like having a hard time with that still. We're still wrestling with that idea. But others of us are like, Jesus, that's it. Let's not talk about sin anymore. No more sin stuff. No more correction. Let's just be done with all of that. Let's just accept each other the way we are. No more need for anybody to change. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Except that's not the real Jesus either, is it? The real Jesus goes hard in the paint and has some, some, some stark words to say, judge not. And he's got this picture of the log and the speck that warns us about the danger of blindness to our own sin. But notice where he's going with it. The point isn't to just leave us all ignoring sin. The point is to prepare us to more appropriately deal with sin in other people's lives. Do you see? Um, You remember the story we were talking about earlier? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's not just that Jesus says no condemnation. It's also that Jesus says no condemnation. Now repent of your sins. And most of us either love being in the camp of telling other people to repent of their sins or we love being in the camp of telling other people no condemnation. But the whole Jesus speaks both to us loudly and clearly. And as His people, we will learn to speak to each other loudly and clearly. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. But even within that, there is this problem, not only of perspective, where I think my sins are no big deal, and I think your sins are a big deal. There's also this issue of priority. Jesus has a clear kind of time-ranking system here. First this, then this. First. What's the priority? Her problem? What's the priority? His problem? The priority that Jesus gives us works like this. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then, you'll see more clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's interesting that Jesus uses the metaphor here of eyes. Eyes are very sensitive, right? Sometimes we overlook this part of the metaphor Jesus doesn't just talk about removing a splinter from a hand. That's hard to do. Amen, parents? You've done this before. Kids get the splinter in their hand, and you're like, you know, trying everything to get, you know, like that splinter, and you rip it out and everything, but their hand just kind of basically stays there, and you kind of hold their hand in place to yank the thing out, right? You can't do that with your friend's eyeball. In fact... If you want to help remove a splinter from your friend's eye and you do it like this, what's going to happen? They're going to be in more pain than they started with. You're not going to get the splinter out and their eye is going to blink shut and not want to open again. It's interesting that Jesus uses the metaphor of something stuck in our eyes because... It's not only that I have a problem of perspective where I tend to think my sins are no big deal and I think yours are. And it's not only that first I've got to take the log out of my eye to deal with yours, but it just suggests this habit of care, gentleness, not into an eye, gentleness, patience. It it might take more than one approach To figure this out. And I'm in this with you. And I'm sympathizing with you. Jesus is calling us to. 
care about sins in each other's lives, yeah. But to do so with a heart, with a spirit, with an attitude that reflects his heart, full of gentleness, full of patience, full of mercy, full of care. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I've shared this example before, but um, it's when the, the thing kind of clicked for me, so I'll share it again. It's when the penny dropped. It's when it started to make sense for me. But um, early in our marriage... Uh, Katie and I had this repeated conflict um, like over and over and over and over again. If some of you have been married for a couple years and you feel like you're having the same thing over and over and over again, Katie and I can understand because we used to have the same argument over and over and over again. And it was always related to, and we had like a great first couple years of marriage. It was awesome. We've loved being married um, for as long as we've been married. But this thing was really difficult. And it was this issue that whenever we went anywhere, Katie would be like, can we please leave at X time? You know, 10 o'clock, 10, 30, 11. And I'd be like, sure, no problem. And, you know, so she'd be like, can we just leave at 10? I got to go to work tomorrow. Yeah, sure, no problem. And then 10, 15, 10, 30, Katie's like tapping me on the shoulder gently and graciously and patiently. And I'm like, one more story. I got one more great story to share. And, you know, people are laughing. They're loving the story. So I'm like, one more story. These people, I'm ministering to everybody here by sharing all my greatest hits tonight, Katie. We can't leave now. And so one more story, one more story. It's 1130. And we're going out to the car. And I'm like, Katie, wasn't that great? And Katie, I mean, she, she, she had a bad attitude in that moment. Can you believe it? She had a really bad attitude. And so then on the way home, I'd just be like, Katie, we got to deal with that attitude of yours. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do something. Like the Bible calls that anger. What's wrong with that situation? <laughs> I'll tell you what's wrong with that situation. How can you say to your wife, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. Josh, you're a hypocrite. First, pay attention. Deal with. Do something about, at least admit the log that is in your own eye. And then maybe you would see a little more clearly so that when you want to talk to your wife about the speck in her eye, it doesn't just come across as... It comes across in the right kind of way. Josh, you're acting like a hypocrite when you get back in the car and just say, Katie, you got a bad attitude. you got to deal with those anger problems. The Word of God challenges me Jesus's teaching challenges me first to change my perspective about the proportions here maybe my sin is a bigger deal than I realize and maybe her anger is a little more understandable than I want to admit at first I'm not dismissing it or ignoring it 
Maybe I need to change my perspective and then maybe I need to change my priorities. Instead of focusing on how she needs to change, maybe I need to be a little bit more open to hearing from her about how I need to change in this situation. And then maybe you know what will happen? If as disciples of Jesus, we're both committing to say, I'm not viewing your sins as bigger than my sins. And if as followers of Jesus, we're learning to say to one another, I'm going to try to deal with what I can own here. What's going to happen? Instead of resentments building up and instead of kind of hard heartedness getting calloused in and instead of resentment and anger, what's going to start to happen? Love is going to grow. And the Spirit of God is going to use these discussions instead of hardening us against each other. The Spirit of God is going to use these discussions to make us more like Jesus and to draw us closer together. And that's not only true in marriages. It's not only true in like family situations with brothers and sisters. It's true in the workplace. It's true in your neighborhood. It's true as we deal with people who are difficult to deal with down the street. And you know what is really, really true and is really, really important here in this room? That instead of thinking our way around the room and thinking about how everybody else's sin is so much of a bigger deal that needs to be dealt with so much faster than my sin, maybe we need to take Jesus' teaching to heart. Judge not. Which doesn't mean don't ever pay attention to sin. But it does mean... When you want to help somebody out with sin, make sure you've got in view what you need to pay attention to in your own life. And make sure you've got the proper priorities set up, not just poking each other in the eye, but dealing first with my own heart and then seeking to help others in a spirit of gentleness, patience, and care. Jesus calls us to judge not and he warns us about the danger of blindness, warns us about the danger of coming judgment. But then there's this third thing that's kind of awkwardly thrown into Jesus's teaching, and I'm going to do it briefly here. Some people who write about the book of Matthew, scholars, people who write commentaries and things like that, usually often say that Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 is kind of the most awkward verse in the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of hard to figure out how does this fit in here. And I want to recognize the awkwardness and say, I'm going to give you my tentative explanation of how it fits, but maybe I'm not right. I don't know. But it says this, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. I think this is warning us of a third danger related to judging not. And it's a danger of foolishness. It's a danger of foolishness. You know, there's this teaching in the book of Proverbs that says things like this. It's a huge theme in Proverbs. I'm just going to read a couple verses. But Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7, for example, says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Hmm. Whoever reproves a wicked person... Incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. I think what Jesus is getting at here is as he's telling us not to judge others, 
And as he's telling us, we do need to pay attention to sin in each other's lives in a neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more kind of way. I think Jesus is also instructing us in a certain kind of way. There are limits to trying to correct other people. After Jesus has just told us about taking the speck out of our brother's eye, Jesus is warning us there are people who are so hardened in their foolishness that no amount of trying to pluck the speck out of their eye is going to help. So stop stop throwing pearls of wisdom before pigs because what happens if you throw a pearl to a pig? A pearl is a very valuable thing, but you put it in there in front of a pig, the pig steps on it and gets mad and goes crazy. The pearl can't appreciate that valuable thing that you're setting in front of it. In fact, the, the pig might only get mad that that valuable thing is set in front of it and go crazy, right? In a similar way, it seems to me, it seems to me, that what Jesus is doing is there's a connection between verse 5 and verse 6 telling us there is kind of an exceptional kind of circumstance that we will run into in some situations where we, we try to correct, we try to share the truth, we try to take the speck out of somebody else's eyes and they're just getting more and more mad and we check our own hearts and we say, I'm going to do the work in my own life to make sure this isn't just my sin getting in the way, it's not just me being a jerk and I'm going to do the priority thing and I'm going to say, I'm going to do this, you know, first I'm going to pay attention to me, then I'm going to I'm going to do the gentleness thing and I'm not just going to, but I'm going to go, you know, gentle, slow. We do all of that and the person just starts swinging back. Or the person just walks out of the game and they won't even listen. There's a certain kind of situation that the Bible tells us about in the book of Proverbs, for example. And that Jesus himself seems to recognize, in which case we say, I've tried everything And kind of like how the book of Romans says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with everybody. Kind of in a similar way, there's like, as far as it depends upon you, try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, but at some point, you can't. You can't take the speck out of the eye of somebody who's squeezed their eyes shut and is swinging their fists anytime you come close. Don't throw pearls in front of pigs. You don't need to do that. You're free You're free from that within this context of serving and following the one who says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. We're free to make our attempts and then eventually say, nothing more I can do. Well, I want to zoom back out the picture just a little bit from there. And I want to zoom back out the picture to the bigger thing that we're talking about here. Living as disciples of Jesus who are committed to this way of life that has this headline, Judge Not. Disciples of Jesus who are becoming more and more like the one who is able to look at the person whose flagrant sin is obvious to everybody and yet say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We're learning to become like that. And the question is, what is it that frees us up? What is it that empowers us? What is it that leads us down that road to become more and more like Jesus? And the answer, you ready for this, is Jesus. Jesus is the one who frees us up to become more like him. Jesus is the one who empowers that change within us by the work of his spirit. 
And it's not just that we're going to be people who all make a decision today. We're going to stop judging other people. And by our own willpower, we're going to be less judgmental. This is about walking. Walking together with Jesus and learning his way along with him by faith. You know, we can think of the story of redemption. We do this often here, or I do this often when I'm preaching, so sorry if you're bored of it, but think of the story of redemption like this massive gear, right? This massive thing that's spinning around. It's got the little spoke things that stick out of the gear, and it's got all of this power coming from Jesus Christ himself, and it's moving around, and our lives are like these much smaller gears that happen at a much smaller level in much smaller individual day-to-day relationships, but here's the thing. As our lives get plugged in with the gears of that huge story of redemption, things start to turn. Things start to change. Things start to move. Habits and patterns that have been settled for years get freed up and start to get moved, not by our own willpower, but by the power of Jesus Christ and the story of redemption that he's writing. And listen, here's the thing. As people who believe, and it's, it's believing, you know this, but sometimes there's a difference between like knowing it and like believing it today, right? And, and, there's a diff- and, and, and there's something that happens when we are people who believe that Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for our sins, rose again in new life, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Because when we believe that, when we plug in our lives to that massive story of redemption, what starts to happen? We are freed up to really say, neither do I condemn you. Why? Because we realize there's somebody better sitting in that seat than me anyway. And in His extravagant grace and mercy... He has not chosen to hold against me every violation that I've committed. No, in His extravagant grace and mercy, He's chosen to look at me and say, not condemned, forgiven, accepted, welcomed by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who conquered sin Himself who rose again from the grave as a sign of His victory over sin. And Jesus, who although He at one time came into this world and lived at walking speed with real sinners like the people who live around us and with real sinners like we find ourselves to be some days, Jesus, who lived at real walking speed with people like us, said, John 8, 15, I judge no one. End quote. And yet that Jesus... He's coming again, and you know what he will do? He will judge the living and the dead. Which includes judging us for the ways that we have wrongly climbed our way into his seat and pretended to be the all-wise judge who knows everything. But it also frees us up to say, how come they keep getting away with that? As people who believe in the whole story of redemption about the whole Jesus, we're freed up from trying to climb our way into the judge's seat and bang the gavel over everybody else because we know a judge who has said to us, no more condemnation. Forgiven, accepted, declared righteous by faith in Christ. And we know a a Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is coming back to deal with every last thing 
so that we're freed up from saying, I've got to deal with every last infraction myself. We're freed up from being the police in everybody else's lives. We're freed up from that burden of constantly having to measure everybody else. Why? Because we know it's in His hands. And we know the grace and the mercy and the gentleness and the kindness and the compassion and the care and the sacrificial love that we have received from Him. And as such people who know such a judge, we are free. In fact, we are glad to then look around at others around us, people in this room, people in our neighborhoods, and say to them, I'm not here to condemn you. Don't go and sin no more. Fully accepted today here with me even as we're continuing this journey of becoming more like Him. What frees us up and what empowers us in this journey of being people who understand what it means to judge not? Jesus. Jesus alone.